cliffcentral.com. In the meantime, we do have to cross to somebody who I'm always pleased to cross to because he's got lots to tell us. He is JJ Cornish, an African analysis, which is our bi-monthly feature sponsored by the Johannesburg Business School. And we look at what's going on on the African continent. Good morning, Mr. Cornish, sir. Bonjour to you, Mr. Cliff. Thank you so my much. Hair. <laughs> so let's talk. And thank you for commenting on my hair. I think it's also looking pretty good this morning. I, I really appreciate that. So, JJ, um, there's apparently a bit of a fight on for the Peace and Security Council chair. Um, and explain to us why at this time there would be a fight for a position like this. Is this just the usual jockeying for power positions which politicians are always involved in or is there more more at stake this time well we went into this african union back in 2003 not wanting to tread heavily you know it was from a throwback from the old alfred and zoe days that the new south africa couldn't come into africa and run it uh, and it took a long time before we put we put freni jinwala on top of the uh African Parliament, which, uh, again, uh, has uh, been a fairly toothless body. Uh, and uh, then a long time before, and Kozazana Dlamini Zuma became head of the uh, Commission, African Union Commission. Now, the chairmanship of the council, that of the union, the 54-member body, that uh, rotates, and we've had that twice, We've just completed a year as chairman. Now, this African Peace and Security Council is a powerful body within the African Union because it's the one that liaises with the United Nations Security Council and determines peacekeeping and things like that. Now, South Africa wants to, uh, has increasingly wanted to hold uh, a, a reign on Africa, hold a better control on Africa. And so we, we, we've been chairman of the Peace and Security Council before. And we wanted, again, having done what he believes is a pretty bang-up job. Uh, we saw Cyril Ramaphosa's note from the president yesterday saying, uh, you know, uh, notating everything that they'd done and saying that the hard times Africa had with COVID has brought out the best of us. So we want to do that. Now, there is in Africa, between the two largest or most powerful members, a real rivalry. No matter how you look at it, no matter how you try to equivocate on that, there is. Nigeria wants that job now. So does Burkina Faso. The formerly, you know, Burkina Faso means the land of the honest people. All right. Ouagadougou, their capital. Yeah. Well, that's what it know, means. Uh, I, I, the, I didn't that, know that that's, could, uh, that's what it meant. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. It was upper, well, used to be Upper Volta. Now, yeah. Ouagadougou. Once, once, as do Tanzania, and they, they're players in Africa, no doubt about it. Mm. But we want that job, and uh, we're pushing for it. The African Union Summit, virtual summit this week, you know, already underway. The, the young, the, uh, the ministers meeting and so on, the actual uh, presidents meet from tomorrow. Now, um, that, that's going to be very interesting uh, because uh, Nigeria. This week, their foreign minister went abroad, uh, or around Africa, that is, uh, trying to garner up support, gets into Mozambique and says, hey, we will help you fight the jihadis in Cabo Delgado, that gas-rich area where more than 2,000 people have been killed, beheaded some of them, because these guys don't play around, the jihadis. 
half a million people displaced, we will help you. Now, what does that mean? Uh, you know, we, we, we know they've, they've, in a sense, said that you, South Africa, our neighbor, you should be helping us. And we've said, we simply don't have the resources to come in on this alone. We will come in as part of a, a multinational group. We've had the European Union saying they will help but they didn't say they put boots on the ground. And that's what the Mozambicans need. They simply can't contain the jihadis in Cabo Delgado. Does it mean the Nigerians will do that? You know, the Nigerians have been involved in peacekeeping. But, Gareth, if you were looking for someone to help you on the matter of security, yeah. then I think you'd need to be looking for someone that can do better than they, than the Nigerians have with Boko Haram. Do you remember, you know, the the schoolgirls 13 years ago, 14 years ago now, Nene, yeah. that were kidnapped, 276 of them. Well, two weeks ago, they kidnapped uh, six orphans or 10 orphans. Uh, now, we don't think that's Boko Haram. That's criminals. But also up in that area, the, the, the Nigerians, the point I'm making is the Nigerians don't seem to, no matter what they say about containing the, the terror, they don't seem to be able to do it. So to help all the way down the bottom end of Africa for them uh, would be a difficult task, I think. Sure. Um, and, and obviously the, the AU is hardly a united body. There are still kinds of ructions and fractions and divisions that happen inside the AU. And, and we're only really starting to understand those now, right? Well, yes. You know, they, they, they're split. Uh, believe it or not, this Anglo-Franco split anglophile francophile split in africa is is much much bigger than the split between say sub-saharan and uh you know north of sahara africa yeah it's it is a significant split which is why Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma never got a fair, fair crack at what she was trying to do those taking her apart were always the francophone countries so there is that mm. uh in this case of course uh nigeria for anglophone uh, you know, they would probably expect that South Africa would, would want to stand by them in this regard in terms of going to Mozambique. But, uh, you know, since we were both at, uh, and, and, uh, in, in, in this sense, uh, three of the contenders for the African Peace and Security Council are, are Anglophone. So Burkina Faso would get support from the, from the Francophones in this regard. But there is that split. It, it shouldn't be exaggerated. The Africans, uh, you know, they're working a lot better than certainly the organization of African unity, its predecessor was. That was just a coterie. That was the club of presidents who never said a word against each other. And one would like to see the African Union do what they proposed right at the beginning, which was to speak out against war crimes, crimes against humanity. That was post-Rwanda. That uh, that they that they were talking about at that time, terrible things had happened in Africa, and enough uh, sufficient countries were saying we can't let this happen again. Well, uh, I, as I say, would like, to, and we in this program will point out when incidents occur that require other Africans to speak out, and uh, and they and they happen know, certainly they they happen more than we'd like, but uh, certain. So you're saying that the the AU while it may not be optimal, is much better than the OAU of old. Almost oh, certainly. No, indubitably. The fact okay. is, though, you know, we, 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 we try to work on the principle of 
African solutions to African problems makes sense. You don't want yeah. foreign interference in the country. But the point is, it's African solutions to African problems, silencing the guns, things like that. I, I still laugh at, and of course, as Arnold Lamini Zuma's agenda for 2063. I mean, you know, you and I can work out an agenda for 2091 <laughs> where we will both be billionaire rock star trapeze artists. And when we not, nobody's going to know because we're actually going to be brown bread by then, you know. So uh. the fact is, Africa sometimes gets unrealistic, and the re- reality is they don't have the money to put up peacekeepers. Yeah. So when they who are oh, the green helmets, you know, the UN peacekeepers or the yes. blue helmets, the green helmets, well, when they come in, they're effectively having to be financed from abroad. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, there's no, no way to say to the Africans, you've got a chipper. Uh, you know, they don't, African, all the African nations don't even pay their dues to the African Union. They get under pressure and they simply can't afford it, they say, some of them. So the, it's about money. And, and that's where the yeah. foreign interference has to keep coming or else Africa's just not going to work as a, as a grouping. So, JJ, um, I, I know that on, on an international scale, uh, we have to also be cognizant and aware of the fact that we, we we can't be even if africa was was terrific at running uh you know itself and and if we were great at solving our own problems even if that were true we still have to pay attention to our biggest trading partners we still have to know where the power in the world lies and obviously there's quite a lot going on in that sphere i mean britain has just slapped sanctions on four top zimbabwean officials for the killing of protesters and other crimes against humanity. Now, this this relates to an incident that isn't just yesterday, so it's been going on for a long while. Do you just want to explain to us how Britain is still involved in the the the, the, the machinations of Zimbabwe so many years later and what that means? Well, Britain, of course, is the colonial power, hmm. uh, has this historic tie with Zimbabwe. And even at the worst of it, when Tony Blair versed uh, Robert Mugabe, you know, Tony yeah. Blair, Tony Blair, Blair, Blair. he said, well, Blair, uh, keep uh, your uh, England and I will keep my Zimbabwe. I remember that. <laughs> the fact is, you know, he'd made promises to Tony Blair that he didn't keep. Tony Blair stepped up and they slapped sanctions on Zimbabwe. Yeah. Now, a lot of the time, once you do that to a country, you pepper them with sanctions anything that goes wrong they blame on the sanctions right so the the governments have been a little more reticent about doing that now but they've had to show strength because whatever britain does to zimbabwe it remains the largest contributor in terms of overseas development aid in terms of uh, assistance and uh, which is something that uh, robert mugabe conveniently forgot the fact is now, uh, Owen Nube, the state security minister, the chief of police, the chief of the military, uh, and uh, th- they've they've been complicit, says Britain, in the killing of protesters. Something tough has to happen, and uh, they've slapped these sanctions. Well, the sanctions being uh, a travel ban, these guys may not come to Britain, and uh, a sort of seizure of assets, freezing the assets not seizure, but freezing their assets in Britain. And, of course, the Zimbabwe spokesman uh, merrily told the journalists yesterday, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all because oh. uh, these guys have no assets in Britain and they have no intention <laughs> of going there. 
Well, um, that's it, it, they say that now, but we know that many of the of the the important people, the high up officials in Zimbabwe, a lot of these people do have property in Britain. A lot of them have have got Swiss bank accounts. I mean, they haven't been completely sleeping on their cash under mattresses in Harare, right? No, uh, the story coming out this uh, last two weeks is of the Swiss banker who mm. uncovered this, Asani Abacha's billions. Yes. And uh, that's very interesting how he did it, uh, you know, because it's, it, it used to be, oh, well, I used to salt away all my money in Swiss bank accounts, you know. <laughs> I used to hide uh, some of it under the driver's seat in the stretch limo. I'm sorry, yes. so I'm happy to tell you that. I well that. well done. I mean, uh, that and, was a really, um, that was some also, forward thinking also on your in part. The, in the, <laughs> And I kept Krugerrands in the case of my Fender Stratocaster. Yes. Sorry, I I was having a moment of fantasy there. In the middle of all this, the Swiss Swiss bank was Hmm. the place you could hide it, and and it worked. But for some time now, perhaps even a decade, the Swiss have said, you can't do that anymore. And they recovered a lot of this money from Sonny Abacha. Do you remember the fights that Sonny Abacha had with uh, uh, Nelson Mandela, that was very fascinating at the time. But he salted away millions. He used to sign a chitty for a security operation and, and a truckload. I'm not kidding you. A truckload of money would cut cash, would come round to his house. And he had, uh, you know, uh, tenders for friends. Well, that's something that doesn't come as a surprise to us. No. Or, or something not uh, to- totally unknown to us. Uh, various things. And he salted away billions. So the, the, the Swiss recovered much of that and have returned it to the Nigerians, always making sure that it goes into or supposed to go into something that will benefit the whole country and not simply into somebody else's back sky. There's always a danger of that, isn't there? Yeah, uh, it, it's just incredible. Uh, how do we feel about COVID at the moment with these vaccines coming in? How are people in the rest of, of Africa doing and are they going to get vaccines? Because I spoke to a friend of ours in Kenya yesterday and she said she hasn't really got any hope that the Kenyan government will even secure these vaccines in, in the next 12 months. Uh, do we have any well, I, any glimmering lights? Well, Kenya is See the reception in the rain, the television crews getting drenched watching 100 million doses of the vaccine. Gareth, that's one hundredth of what we need. Uh huh. Getting that to arrive. I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot of pressure on the government to to let that happen because we were only going to get it around mid year. Yeah. I maintain, I think I said this last week, that every death from COVID now. Now that we have the vaccine and we have the means to get it, it's a crime against humanity. It shouldn't be the case. We should be getting vaccine into people's arms. Now, we're getting a million. That will go to healthcare workers. I'm glad to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're getting the next lot, but that's smaller numbers coming in, certainly over the next couple of months. But the bulk of the vaccine that's going to go into your and my arms and see us, but he looks much too young. He'll probably have to wait until, you know, early 2024. Yeah. And, ah, and, and, and until then, no booze and no uh, cigarettes. See, uh, that's just my advice to you. <laughs> Thank uh, we, you we're not going to, we're not going to be getting it until later this much later this year. If indeed we get it this year. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's nowhere near fast enough. And, you know, somebody worked out that the vaccine, buying the vaccine we would need as South Africans would uh, cost about 
what we're losing in a week of lockdown. Oh, you know, really? So there's that, that sort of thing. And did you see the, the, wow. the, 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 the increase in income, the 50% increase in wealth for uh, Bill Gates and uh, the Amazon guy and so on? You know, those the, the richest mm-hmm. uh, people could have bought enough vaccine to do the entire world. And that's what they have gained. Their wealth has increased. Uh, during the lock uh, since the uh, onset of the of the pandemic, yeah. So it's about money, and there's, it's about backhanders, and that's the thing that breaks my heart. You know, they were talking about uh, corruption, how they're going to have to root it out, and so on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly worried about that. And to, you know, for I mean, it's one thing. I think being corrupt robs the poor. We know that for a fact. But being corrupt about PPE and about vaccine actually kills people and people will not be accountable for that. And that's the saddest thing. I'm with you. Crime against humanity time and and time for some people to go to The Hague and explain themselves there. You know, we got it. Oh, yeah. I I think so. We should why, take uh, our leaders. You, we should take our leaders you? at their word at this. I, I don't. I don't feel like we need any more excuses from people who we've put in power, and and where we have an, a, a, such an obvious mandate, where there's such an obvious problem in the world, and we know how to deal with this. And if you're in dereliction of duty now, there should be serious, serious consequences. JJ, thank you so much. Always good to talk to you. Unfortunately, we're out of time, and uh, we will connect with JJ again in two weeks. So thank you. Looking forward to it. Thank Stay you. safe. That's uh, JJ Cornish and the African Analysis Report for this week, which is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. You can find out more about them by going along to cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.